Hey everyone, I'm Meg Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. and welcome back, Awesomes. You are listening to the show that is all about helping you be smart, strong, and social. We are in your earbuds every single week with all the awesome that you need to know. And you can find us on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show or over on Facebook in our Sorta Awesome Hangout group. This is episode 208 of Sorta Awesome, and we hope that you are truly having one of your most awesome summers yet. Summer is such a great time to catch up on your favorite podcast. It's also a time when your friends and family are looking for new listens to check out. And really, you guys, just telling somebody about your favorite podcast is one of the best ways to spread the word about the shows that you love. So if you do love Sort of Awesome, and we hope that you do, and your friends and family are asking you, what can I listen to this summer, either when they're on a long road trip? or maybe they just have some time to kill laying out by the pool, whatever it is, we would love for you to recommend Sorta Awesome to them so that they can become awesomes too. We are so thankful for every one of you awesomes who tune in every week. We would love for you to spread our mission of being awesome in this world to the people around you. So a very super easy way to do that is help them to look up Sorta Awesome in their favorite podcast app, or you know, we're on Spotify, we're in Pandora, all the places or just send them on over to SortaAwesomeShow.com. Well, you guys, like I said, this is episode 208. I am so excited about this episode. It is kind of a triumph of technology and awesomeness that we get to feature this week's Superstar Awesome. In fact, this is the very last episode in our Sorta Awesome Stories Summer Series, and we are doing it up in style. Today, we are joined by superstar Carolyn Montanati, and she is talking to us all the way from Afghanistan. (laughs) As you can imagine, you guys, I am just like absolutely so thrilled about this. So let me tell you a little bit about Carolyn. We're going to get to her story, which I know you will be just absolutely loving here in just a few minutes. But just so you know a little bit about Carolyn, she's a Colorado girl who now lives in the deserts of Central Asia. Carolyn's married. She's a mom to three great kids who are tweens and a teen. Her youngest has Down syndrome, so special needs parenting is part of her current gig. And she and her husband have lived and worked in Afghanistan on and off for 15 years. They started out as relief and development workers back in 2002. Now her husband runs a small social enterprise business. Carolyn teaches English to Afghan women. And together, they figure out how to make Tex-Mex food in a country with no cheese. Bless your heart, Carolyn. (laughs) No cheese at all. Oh, my gosh. Ah. So she's also, just so you know, an ISFJ and an Enneagram 9. So comfortable, cozy, and quiet are her favorite things. You know, I relate to that so much. So, Carolyn, welcome to Sorta Awesome. Hi, Meg. It is an absolute thrill and a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. I have been like crossing all of my fingers and toes that just the technology would work. The technology (laughs) and the time zones. Oh my goodness. That's right. Time zone wise. So it's a little after 10 in the morning here in Oklahoma City. What time is it for you in Afghanistan right now? It's 739 
in the evening here. So we've gone through most of our day and Afghanistan likes to be a little different. So it's not on the hour, we're off on the half hour. Yes, I noticed that when we were kind of trying to collaborate and figure out scheduling wise, I was like, oh, this is interesting. We're looking at the half hours now. So, (laughs) well, Carolyn has an amazing story and I am so thrilled about this episode because this is such a chance for all of us as awesomes to have a peek into what it means. You know, we talk often about being awesome to the world around us. Here Carolyn is in a completely different part of the world than the vast majority of our awesomes. And so I just cannot wait to dive into this story. I'm so excited. But first, before we do all of that, Carolyn, let's go ahead and start this show the way we always do with our awesomes of the week. This is the moment in the show where, you know, we like to pause and just tell you about whatever's awesome in life right now, whether it's books or TV shows, movies, products, anything that's making life a little bit more gold and sparkly. So Carolyn, I can't wait to hear what you have for us this week. Thanks, Meg. Yeah, I was thinking about Awesome of the Week. And so I'm coming today with a TV show, but it's from 2016. Okay. And I thought if Kelly can bring us Brooklyn Nine-Nine and (laughs) Gilligan's Island. (laughs) And the Brady Bunch. Don't forget she has also (laughs) talked about her love for the Brady Bunch on this show. That 2016 is well within the realm of like current and cool. Totally. Yes. So anyway, I have really enjoyed it. It is a TV show, just a few episodes, six or eight episodes called The Night Manager. Okay. Have you heard of this? I don't think I have. Ah, it originally was on AMC, but I looked it up. You can get it now, rent it or buy it on Amazon Prime. Meg. This features Tom Hiddleston, Hugh Laurie, Olivia Coleman, and that guy from the Allstate ads with the really oh, deep Oh, really? Voice. Okay. This sounds right up my alley yes. for sure. Mm, it's, uh, it's an interesting premise. Tom Hiddleston is the night manager at a very fancy hotel in Cairo, right at the start of the Arab oh, Spring. Oh, wow. And there's a beautiful woman, and then... There are problems. Of course, yes. Yes. Hugh Laurie is an international mega rich guy doing good around the world, but actually he's a really bad guy doing like... Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And this is a story of how the Tom Hiddleston character becomes close to, like gets involved in with this crime family but he's working for like a shadow British intelligence agency and the Americans are helping and he's going all over the world it starts in Cairo part of why I like it is it really gets places in the Middle East correct like it's filmed in Cairo and the people are Egyptian Uh yeah you know and I appreciate that it moves all over it gets a bit dark and violent but it's also very captivating and it moves along. Olivia Coleman, she is like the British agent who's running him, who inserts him into this family to get close to the bad guy. Oh, it's it so good. Fantastic. And it's unusual in that I checked the book out from the library. The Night Manager is a spy novel from maybe the 90s. And I would say that this is a rare occasion where the show is much better than the book. They've upped 
dated it. The book in the 90s is like ponderous and all the guys are white sure. dudes, yes. you know. So they updated it. Olivia Coleman, you know, they changed some of the characters to women, people of color. And it's a beautiful show to look at, not the least of which is that for no reason at all, Tom Hilton walks around a lot with no shirt on. <laughs> Never a bad thing. <laughs> That's not bad. It's a few episodes. It's on Amazon Prime. I think in these last hot days of summer, it is well worth it. This is an adult yeah. show. So this is an after bedtime sure, sure. kind of thing. To watch. Yes. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I've never heard of it because you know this sounds totally up my alley. So I will absolutely be checking it out. And Austin's will put a link in the show notes if you also want to check out the TV show as well. So that sounds fantastic. Okay, my awesome of the week is in a little bit different direction than a great TV binge, although I am definitely loading up my queue for everything <laughs> I want to watch right now. But mine is actually something that I kind of have mentioned on. Instagram, I put it in Instagram stories months ago. It's come up a couple of times in discussions in the Hangout group. And this has become my go-to migraine headache, kind of like preventative, which has really been awesome in my life for several months now. And I'm kind of surprised I haven't talked about it on the show yet, but here we are. We're going to talk about it today. So I have been, I'm one of those people, I've had headaches really on and off various, you know, severity my whole life. But in the past couple of years, I started getting migraines and they were really closely connected to hormones, my cycle, all of those types of things. Well, when I got pregnant with baby number five, I went through a stretch where I'm not kidding. I was having severe migraines, like couldn't hardly get out of bed because I had to stay in a dark room like three and four days out of the week, which was crazy. So I talked to my doctor about it, to my OB, and she did write me a prescription of something that I could use as needed or as a preventative. But she mentioned just like almost in passing, she was like, you know, I have a lot of patients that have a lot of success with preventing migraines with doing magnesium and like a B-complex, B-supplement. And I was like, well, okay, I've already, I'm a huge believer in magnesium supplements. I feel like probably most of us are not getting enough magnesium. So my favorite go-to one is a brand called Natural Calm. Tons of people use it. It's just a powder. You mix it into water and get a little magnesium boost. But I had never in all of my, I mean, Carolyn, you know, back to my crunchy days, I've tried every supplement really there is. <laughs> reason I'd never done a B-complex supplement. So I thought, well, it's worth a try because it was getting to the point where I just almost couldn't function because I was having these migraines oh. so often, you know? Oh, that's awful. Yeah. It was very discouraging. And I was totally willing to do the prescription if that's what it took. But I thought, well, I already have magnesium on hand. So let me try this B-complex and put it together. Oh my gosh. It has been for me. And the reason I'm sharing it is because I know we have lots of people, either they themselves struggle with migraines or maybe they have a child that does or a partner who has migraine struggles. I'm just throwing it out there. This obviously everybody's body chemistry is going to work differently. So it's going to you know be effective for some people, but not for others. This has been a total life changer for me. And this was back at the beginning of the year that she told me about this. I would say I've probably had two migraines maximum the rest of the year, just 
by incorporating this combo of magnesium and a B complex. So I'm going to tell you the one that I pick and I'm using because people often ask me like, what brand do you like of this or that supplement? I think there's probably tons of great B complexes out there. I found one on Amazon that's really, really, really highly rated and reviewed, and it's from a company called Pure Encapsulations, and it is their B Complex Plus. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's, you know, like for $35, you get a bottle with 120 in them. I have been taking two a day, and I take that with my natural calm that I have in the mornings when I kind of do my supplement routine. And Carolyn, oh my gosh, it has been a total, not just an awesome of the week, but actually a life changer for me. (laughs) That's fantastic. So it goes with the magnesium and it's that combination. That's fantastic. Yeah, there seems to be something about the combo of the two together that has been Mm -hmm. really, really helpful. So I'm just throwing it out there for anybody who has been looking for migraine relief. Again, it's not going to work for everybody, but I'm throwing it out there because I think I hope that it will work for some people. So I'll put a link in the show notes to both Natural Calm and to the Pure Encapsulations B-Complex I've been using. As with all things health-related, please do check with your healthcare provider before you start anything new. Always a good idea to check in and get their feedback so that you can know if it is a good match for you and what you're already taking and your whole medical and life history, (laughs) all of those things. Just to be clear, I'm not a doctor, but maybe you should ask your doctor about this combo if you struggle with migraines. So those are our awesomes of the week. As always, we will have links in the show notes for you all to check those out. And as always, we want to hear what's awesome in your life right now. So if you haven't already, come find us over on Instagram where every single Friday morning we're asking what's awesome in your life with our awesome of the week thread over there where it's sort of awesome show. And of course, we do this every Friday morning in our sort of awesome hangout group. We all kind of get together and cheer each other on and get a special peek into each other's lives with what's awesome right now. So if you haven't joined our Facebook community yet, we'd love to have you at facebook.com slash groups slash sort of awesome hangout. Okay, awesomes, you know, I've talked about my love of Kapari's aluminum-free coconut deodorant before. I was especially loving it earlier this week on the first day of school when it was, well, about 105 degrees outside. It was a crazy hot day, but I didn't even have to give my deodorant a second thought. That's why I love Kapari. So I wanted to let you know they've got an amazing new scent called Driftwood, and it's the first charcoal deodorant from Kapari. Now, you've heard me talk about the original coconut deodorant, the beach and gardenia scents, and the fragrance-free version. Well, Kapari's new driftwood scent smells like sandalwood and cedarwood with middle notes of zesty clove. It's also made with activated charcoal, which works to draw out sweat and toxins and absorb odor-causing bacteria, everything you want in a deodorant. If you're like me and you prefer scents that are a little bit more spicy and not so sweet, you will love the Driftwood scent. Remember that Kapari's Coconut Deodorant is a cleaner alternative to traditional deodorants. It's aluminum-free, vegan, it doesn't contain silicone, sulfates, parabens, GMOs, or baking soda. Instead, this deodorant keeps you fresh with plant-based actives like sage oil and coconut oil, and it's great if you've got sensitive skin or if you just don't want a bunch of questionable ingredients on your body. Best of all, you never have to worry about 
without running out of deodorant because you can get Kapari automatically shipped to you as often as you choose for free. Plus, Kapari offers a money-back guarantee. So, awesomes, go to kaparibeauty.com awesome to save $5 off of your first deodorant order when you subscribe. That's Kapari, K-O-P-A-R-I beauty.com awesome. Kaparibeauty.com awesome. Okay, awesomes, this year... Okay, awesomes, this year for back to school, I decided to pack little taking care of you bags for each of my girls to keep in their backpacks. And you know those bags were stuffed with products from Lola. The women, both young and old in our family, love Lola because Lola products are 100% natural and easy to feel good about. The FDA does not require brands to disclose a comprehensive list of ingredients in their feminine care products, so most of them don't. But Lola offers complete transparency about the ingredients found in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. And Lola is all about making our month a little easier. Their subscription is fully customizable. You can choose your mix of products, the mix of absorbency, the number of boxes, when you want them delivered. Lola's subscription is super flexible. You can change, skip, or cancel your subscription at any time. And one of my very favorite products from Lola is brand new. It's their cleansing wipes. They are safe for use anywhere on the body. They're the first biodegradable, all-natural wipe of their kind, perfect for a midday refresh. They are individually packaged and perfect for on-the-go, and they're hypoallergenic. So awesomes, if you're ready to discover why we love Lola and get signed up for yourself or for the young woman in your life, you can get 40% off of your first month's subscription when you visit mylola.com and enter awesome 40 when you subscribe. That's mylola.com. Enter awesome 40. That's the number 440 when you subscribe. Thank you, Lola. All right, Carolyn, I hope you're ready because I have a lot of questions and I basically want you to tell us everything. <laughs> I know oh it's the goodness. end of the day for you, so I hope that as an introvert, you've saved back a little energy. <laughs> I have. My husband even cooked dinner because I said I need to rest before I do this talk. And he, he stepped right Well, please right tell up. John, thank you so much. And he not only cooked dinner, but I know he was supporting you and getting all the technology set up. So he is definitely like his awesome is showing through and just the behind the scenes stuff of making this episode happen. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I thought, you know what? Let's start at the beginning because obviously you're an American and you've been, like I said at the top of the show, been living on and off in Afghanistan for over 15 years, but let's kind of back up a little bit and tell us about, you know, a little bit about your life growing up here in the States, and then maybe take us on the path to how you landed in Afghanistan. Okay, sure. So like you said, I'm from Colorado. I'm from the western side of Colorado, in the Rocky Mountains. It's rural, it's ranch country. It's absolutely the most beautiful place in the world to be from. I grew up there with deep roots in this little small mountain town. My dad's a fireman. My mom is a middle school teacher. And their parents are from there. And so Western Colorado is like in me. Yeah. It's really who I am. Yeah, it's absolutely the most beautiful place. And I recommend it for awesomes who want to go on holidays. Yes. But yes, I grew up in a really conservative Christian family, very similar, as I've listened to this show for many years, probably very similar to you and to Kelly's upbringing and to Rebecca's too. A conservative, you know, doing the best we could and trying to follow, you know, what God has for us. And these are how you live your life. And 
it was really lovely childhood. And I went to high school, like I started out in a conservative Christian school. And then I ended up needing to graduate from our local public school. And it was very scary for me to go from this little tiny sort of insular place. I mean, it's no big deal. It's was one high school in our town, and it's not very big. But from where I was coming from, yeah. it was huge and scary. <laughs> and there was, in a couple of my classes, there was a really nice guy, and he had a nice group of friends. And that turned out to be John, yes. my husband. So we actually meet in high school, like on the speech and debate really? team. Really? How fun. <laughs> yeah. His mom was like a school bus driver. His dad is like a mining engineer in some of the gold and copper mines around. And just all that to say, like, our roots run deep. There was no reason for us to go to Afghanistan, according to our upbringing. (laughs) Very small town, very blue collar. We went to college in separate parts of the country. We remained friends. And eventually, because we would keep coming back to our small town, we just kept seeing each other. And after time, that friendship grew. And now we'll be celebrating 20 years of marriage. Oh, that's so great. Congratulations in advance. That's so awesome. Thanks. Part of what I did at school, at university, I went to university in Seattle, Washington. Our school had an opportunity where you could travel as part of like a group of other kids from other Christian universities. Mm -hmm. And you could do a semester abroad because it was a small school. They couldn't do their own program, but Uh you could join other schools. So I ended up doing, as part of my degree, some of my university at the American University of Cairo in Egypt. And part of that was that we would travel somewhat in the region. This was a long time ago, Meg. I maybe (laughs) won't say how long ago. But it was ages ago. And you could travel more in the region than maybe you can now. The first time that I, as a small town Colorado girl, saw kind of what much of the world goes through in terms of like poverty or instability, or in some cases when we were in the West Bank and in refugee camps in Jordan, just kind of what happens when there's war or political upheaval and things like that. And I was horrified and I felt that somehow. I had been lied to quite a bit. You know, like my church and my culture, nobody said to me, this is how things are for many people in the world. Yes. And that our government sometimes doesn't always make the right choices. We're not always on the side of the angels. Mm. It was very hard for me as a 20-something to process it. Yeah. In my zeal. Yes, in my zeal. I was like, wow, you know who's going to change this would be Carolyn. <laughs> I love that. It was like the first sparks of just like awesome. Like, I am going to make a change yeah. in what I am seeing here. I love it. <laughs> yes. I came back from Egypt. I was fired up. We graduated. But I was also in love with this really cute guy from home who had zero intentions of living out in the really? world. He was. Yeah, John was going to be a pastor in a church, something like what we grew up with. He really knew, like, he was called to Christian service, and 
in our upbringing, that meant being sure, a pastor. Sure. Yeah. And that was the road that he was on. And I was like, well, I'm not really down with that kind of uh-huh. road. And so I said, I really want to get married and all of this, but I really would like you to do a little bit of traveling with me. Let's see a little bit about the world, some of what I've seen, and maybe we can make some decisions based on that. So before we got married, Meg, we actually went to the country of Bosnia. And this is the very end of the 90s. So Bosnia had gone through a civil war. And so now they were dealing with sort of the aftermath of that. And John then walked through streets where there were bullet holes Mm. in the walls. And we worked in a, like a place where there were lots of refugee kids who weren't able to get home just yet. Things like that. It was just for a summer. Bosnia is is really beautiful. It's rolling greens kind of right in the foothills of the Alps. It's an absolutely gorgeous country. And it's also primarily Muslim which was new for John. And so he was like, whoa, okay, I get this now. And he really just had a change of heart. Yeah. I just want to stop and say, like, I'm so proud of your 20-something self as an Enneagram 9 to, like, really, you know, instead of just merging, which we can tend to do very easily and being like, okay, you want to be a pastor, I'll be a pastor's wife. And that you really exerted yourself in that relationship and you're like, okay, but first, will you just come and do this with me and see the world that I have seen? I mean, that's really remarkable that, you know, kind of a younger age that you already felt that passionately about, you know, life outside of the U.S. experience and really wanted to invite John into the experiences that you had had. So I think that's so amazing. Well, thanks. I think it's probably a lot of how I was raised as well. Both of my parents, I think, are pretty strong Mm. Enneagram ones with a strong, like, this is right. And this is how we do things. And that's how they raised me as well. Like, if you see that something is wrong and not going well, well, get up and change it. Fix it. Definitely makes sense. So, yeah, we got married and... Uh, kind of cast around a bit, you know, we were young and in love yes. and, uh-huh. you know, maybe not as focused, but we landed with an organization that worked with refugees who came into the oh, city of Phoenix. Okay. So we lived in inner city Phoenix for a while with an organization that helped newly arrived refugees, like get set up in sort of low income housing and things like that. At that time, right in like 2000, 2001, most of our neighbors were like from Kosovo, Afghan, and Iraqi. Okay, yeah. Because this is right when some of those things were happening in those countries. And a lot of refugees coming in. We were really enjoying our life. We lived in this little tiny apartment in the middle of this huge city. We worked part-time and we did this, this other volunteer job kind of coordinating with some churches, English centers, things like that. It was a lot of fun. And as we were doing this, we were just kind of coming to the end of like, all right, what are we going to do after this kind of time is over? And 9-11 happened. Yes. And 
that was really impactful in our community in Arizona. A lot of my Iraqi friends wore head coverings and suddenly they were very scared to like go and get their kids from school or things like that. And it was really heartbreaking to be in that community and see kind of like their fear to see sort of the backlash against the Muslim community there at that time. And and I just felt like it drew us in closer to our friends and our neighbors. And we started talking more seriously about what can we do like long term in the places yeah. where our friends come from. Yeah. And what was slowly dawning on us, and especially on John, was this, that in his heart and in his talent, John is an engineer. He's a really good inventor, tinkerer. He can fix everything. He's really, really good engineer. Comes from his dad's background and all of that. You know, how can you sort of serve the Lord and love your neighbor as an engineer? Well, it turns out that lots of places in the world need a guy who's just really good with his hands and can do almost anything if you set it down in yeah, front of him. Absolutely. I think that would be one of the best skills to have, honestly, in terms of how you can, you know, sort of in a tangible way, really show up to serve people. I mean, yes, what a great match of both actual skill set and then you know, what his heart was drawn to. I love it. So after 9-11, there was a period of time when America went to active war in Afghanistan. That kind of went from September through that winter. And the organization that we were with came to us and said, hey, so there's a lot of things going on right now in Afghanistan. The country had been closed for a while because of the Taliban, like no foreigners were allowed at all. That's opened back up again. Refugees are pouring in from all directions. And we have like a small relief and development base in the very north of Afghanistan. And we were wondering if you and John and a few others would go just for a few months and help out. Not long term, but just see if you can just like be on the ground physically helping out. And at the time, we didn't have kids. Sort of the work that we were doing in the community in inner city Phoenix was wrapping up. And we really felt like, well, how could we say no yeah. to that? <laughs> I'll tell you, my mother was like, so you can't say no. <laughs> yes. This is how you say no, thank you. I mean, honestly, putting myself in your mother's shoes, I probably would have said the same thing. <laughs> Oh my goodness, he's been so great though, honestly, so so supportive. So 2002, in the summer, we flew at the time, unknown country to me, with the funny name of Uzbekistan. Mm -hmm. Uzbekistan borders Afghanistan on the north. And at the time, that was a really way to enter Afghanistan. The whole country was in rubble. There were no airports. The roads in the south by Pakistan were not safe. And so aid and aid workers were coming in from Mm -hmm. the north. So we flew into Uzbekistan to the border and then crossed over into Afghanistan in the summer of 2002. What were your first impressions of the country, having never been there before and then going in 
on the heels of really some terrible devastation in that country. It's so vivid in my mind. It was a complicated border crossing. Uzbekistan used to be part of the former Soviet Union. And so that border was very militarized, stern guards in crisp uniforms, checking us over, right, all of this, and wouldn't allow our car. And so we actually had to pick up our luggage and walk across the river, across the bridge in Afghanistan. And so that was amazing. And there's this kind of deserty country stretching out in front of me. And so we've come across from this really highly militarized place into like this sort of thick mud walled room. And there's this old man there who cannot read or write. And we give him our passports and he has no idea what to do with them. But he just smiled and he was like, hey, welcome to Afghanistan. Would you like a cup of tea? And that is Afghanistan. It's summed up like that kind of warm welcome and hospitality. And we were like, yeah. And he's like, well, let me see if I can find somebody who knows what to do with you. And, you know, he was in no big hurry and he shuffled around. Eventually we got processed. And then we took this incredible drive through some mountains and rocky river valleys into the city of Mazar-e-Sharif. From there, we got right to work. The people who were there long-term were like, we do not have time to coddle you, jump in (laughs) and start a project. And we were like, yes, absolutely. What is a project? (laughs) We could not have been greener. Oh, my goodness. We are so clueless. I mean, good hearts, but zero percent ability. But willing, willing to do whatever. And here we were. Here we are. So we get a little bit set up. We take some hours of language classes. Afghanistan speaks a dialect, Farsi, called Dari. And so we took some Dari lessons. And almost right away, my husband got pulled into a really interesting project of there were some wells at the UN water wells out in the desert that had started and then had to abandon because of the fighting. And the villagers were like, we'd really like to get these started up again. We could use the water. We'd also like to maybe build a school out here where these wells are. So John started right away in sort of figuring out how to redo these wells, find the water, make them safe. And then he also did quite a lot of planning and engineering of a few schools out in some different villages. Another project that some of the people who had been there a while had started You know, the Taliban had said, no girls can go to school. And this had been for several years now, you know, most of the 90s, there was either civil war or the Taliban. And so school had just been disrupted. Lots of families had fled and were coming back. And what we were seeing was there were a lot of older girls, but who were in the first grade. Like it was their first year of school, even if they were 17 years old. And they didn't want to go to the village school and sit with the little Sure, of course. Yes. Yeah. That was like, ugh, no. And so something that my friend and I did was that we worked with some village women leaders, some of whom make like taught secret schools under the Taliban and stuff. They were so amazing, so courageous. And they identified trainers in their community 
and then we help pass out resources basically to teach adult literacy to girls who are coming back and stuff who had never gotten a chance to go to school but weren't going to be able to like go to the village school because they were right. too old. Uh, truly, truly just like such a tangible incarnation of awesome happening there. I mean, really, really powerful. It was amazing. Truly, we didn't know what we were doing, but the Lord's grace and some good mentoring, we kind of found our feet and we ended up staying for the 10 months. And by that time, people who had lived, when I say people, like I mean like foreigners who had lived in Afghanistan for the time before the Taliban were starting to come back, starting to start up their projects, their relief and development organizations, figure out needs and things like that. We met with some of these folks, and some of them had families. Some of them had had families there for a long time. And I was like, you can do this? You can have Uh kids, and you can live here and make a life? And there were people around us who were like, yeah, of course you can. It's an interesting life, and it's far from typical or easy but you can absolutely do it. And there are more of us here. I love it. I love that you had this seed planted even before you and John got married, this little thing of like, Hmm, I wonder what could be. And then it didn't happen right away. You guys were kind of doing some other things and plugged into some ways to use your talents and to serve in ways that you were felt like you were being called to. And then just like a series of like, just taking the next right step along the way And here you are having these conversations of like, oh, wait a second. What if life actually looked like this instead? I mean, that is amazing. And truly, I know that you maybe wouldn't want people to be like, oh, you're so brave or whatever. But to be young and not have had children yet and, you know, maybe have had sort of idea in your mind of what family life would look like. And, you know, coming from a very specific context, like all of us do to have the openness, maybe that would be a better word that you were being brave, but just to have the openness to be like curious about it. Like we could actually do this. I mean, again, I just think that's so remarkable. Thanks. Yeah. It felt like you said, it was like just taking kind of the next step and then the next step. There wasn't like a long-term plan other than there was like a strong feeling and Afghanistan will just grab you by the heart and it will break your heart over and over again but it will also just like build you up. And this is such an incredible place with incredible people. And we just weren't done yet. We weren't ready to leave. And so we went back to America with the intention of starting our family and then moving back to Afghanistan Mm -hmm. when we could. And that's pretty much what we did for several years after that. We had first our daughter and then our son. We lived in Kabul by then. Kabul was starting to be rebuilt. This is the part of the time when America stopped with the active war and started like pouring in tons of money to sort of rebuild and pivot to the Iraq war. And so a lot of soldiers were leaving. The focus in Afghanistan kind of shifted away from the world stage. So things were a little different then. There wasn't kind of active war or anything going on. No bombs were falling. But the streets were rubble. When we lived in Kabul, we didn't have electricity. Or we had electricity like every third night. So two days without it, on the third night, it would come on and the neighborhoods would take turns. And slowly by slowly, with 
lots of donor money and stuff, Afghanistan, Kabul was being rebuilt. And we got to be a little bit a part of that for some years. I just look back on that with such fondness. Like my kids were really little. So we had some like sort of freedom to kind of take them. They're pretty portable at that age. Yeah, definitely. Really care like where they live or who their friends are, you know. And so, and once again, my mom and my dad and John's parents were like, you can say no and you can leave the grandchildren here if this is what you want to do, (laughs) you know. But uh, again, by then we're a bit resigned to it. And we sort of started this rhythm of living in Afghanistan and then back to the States for a time and, and kind of back and forth. Around 2008, things were going really well and I was pregnant with our third kid. And John was doing some, like, we call it appropriate technology project, which means in a developing world, you need to use the resources that are at hand to make new things or to make things work better. And so John was really working with wind turbines to see if you could generate electricity in places where they needed to run refrigeration for clinics, for vaccines and stuff like that. So he was experimenting. How do you make a wind turbine here with only things you can find in the bazaar? And he was doing a really good job with that. Like he was using like old Russian taxi hubcaps for the middle of the wind turbine. He's very clever. I mean, like like, real life MacGyver stuff. (laughs) Yeah, it was very Very awesome. I love it. Hey, awesomes. This is so interesting to me. Did you know that 70% of people say they want to use more natural products, but only 2% actually do? Why is that? Mostly because what they sell at the store is from the biggest companies, but not necessarily the ones that are best for you. So where do you even start? That's why I love Grove Collaborative. I'm a longtime fan and customer of Grove because Grove takes the guesswork out of going green. Every Grove.co product is guaranteed to be good for you, for your family, your home, and the planet, so you can save time and not get bogged down in reading all those confusing labels. With Grove, you don't have to shop multiple stores or search endlessly online to get all the natural goods you need for your family. I know this is kind of dorky, but I actually get excited to work on my Grove.co order every month. So far in my cart, of course, I've got to stock up on more of the Dr. Bronner's Castile Liquid Soap. It's the only soap we trust for our families. We use it for everyone, the grown-ups, the kids, and even the baby. It's that safe. I recently tried out the Grove Collaborative Makeup Remover Towel. You guys, it's magic and awesome. I don't know how it works, but I'm ordering another one just for my girls. And I love the Mrs. Myers and Grove Collaboration scent Compassion Flower so much. I got the hand soap last month. Now I'm ordering the whole cleaning set in that scent. It's my new favorite thing. So if you want to discover why I'm always geeking out about Grove.co, for a limited time, when you guys go to Grove.co slash awesome and place an order of $20 or more, you're going to get a free five-piece cleaning set from Mrs. Myers and Grove, a $30 value. Go to Grove.co slash awesome to get this exclusive offer. That's Grove.co slash awesome. 
All right, awesomes, I'm about to walk out the door for after-school pickup. It's not my favorite time of the day, but I am going to enjoy it a whole lot more because I'm going to be wearing my Rothy's. Rothy's has quickly grown to be a most-loved, gotta-have-em brand. It's no surprise that they have over 1,000 nearly perfect reviews. They're stylish, sustainable, comfortable, washable, Really, all of that in just one pair of shoes. They are the perfect flats for life on the go. I got the leopard print loafer style flats. You guys, they make me so happy every single time I put them on. They are so cute and they are incredibly comfortable. In fact, since Rothy's are seamlessly crafted from recycled water bottles, they're ultra comfortable as soon as you slip them on. There is zero break-in period with these shoes. Plus, Rothy's always comes with free shipping and free returns and exchanges, so there's no risk, no worries, and no reason not to try them. Something else I super love about Rothy's is that they're manufactured in a zero-waste factory, and they ship directly in the shoebox. No unnecessary packaging. They are feel-good flats in more ways than one. So to check them out for yourself and maybe start off the school year right for yourself as well, go to rothys.com awesome to get your new favorite flats. That's rothys, R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash awesome. Comfort, style, sustainability. These are the shoes you've been waiting for. Head to rothys.com awesome today. Well, I'm wondering if you can kind of catch us up and tell us, I'm sure that there are many, like literally years of stories of how things developed years. there. I was wondering if you could catch us up to kind of what you guys are doing right now. I have some more questions about life in Afghanistan for sure, but what does your like daily life look like right now in terms of the work that both you and John are doing, kids, all of that stuff? Yep, absolutely. So now we live back in the north of the country again, in a small town, we call it Silk Road yes. City. So if you follow me on the socials, then yes, that's I what we love call it. it. Yeah, I love to see pictures of life. In fact, this is so funny. When I got back from Lebanon back in 2016 for my trip mm -hmm. there, and I was putting together this series about what I got to experience about the Syrian refugee crisis and how it is being lived out in Lebanon. And um, I think I made sort of just like a passing comment that I had always imagined Lebanon as being, you know, like this sort of dry and dusty desert, really this beautiful, like mountainous country. And I remember at the time that you were like, well, I live in Afghanistan and it is the desert, but it's also really, really beautiful here. And I think I started following you on Instagram around that time and your pictures of what daily life looks like there, they always just take my breath away. And I'm like, I can't believe I had like this, such an Americanized, like... <laughs> <laughs> just based on movies and TV shows idea of what life in Afghanistan looked like. And I'm so thankful that you give us a real window on life there because truly the area that you guys live in is very beautiful. Yeah, it is. And Afghanistan is such a like diverse country, like a branch of the Himalayas kind of cuts through the diagonally through Afghanistan. So we're up on kind of like the Russian steppe almost, yeah. right? It's flat and it's dry and you can wow. almost see to Siberia. But then it just goes up to some of the highest mountains in the world and then back down to almost like tropical down towards Pakistan where they grow bananas and oranges on your way to India. It's a really interesting country just in terms of climate. So John and I and our three kids now live here in Silk Road City, and we've lived here for about four years. Our youngest one was born with Down syndrome in 2008. That took us home to the States for about four years. Okay. Well, we just really were like, 
really just absolutely knocked on our backside. Yes. By that diagnosis, it was it shocked us. It stunned us. We were, to be completely honest, we were just dreadfully upset. It's embarrassing to say that now because our youngest is Jacob and he is the absolute delight of our lives. But then we didn't know, like, does that mean the end of Afghanistan or can we go back? It took some time for us to figure it out. Jacob doesn't have health concerns that some kids with Down syndrome have. And so once he turned four, we were able to transition back to Afghanistan. And that has just been a real joy now to sort of be kind of in the second half of our time here with older kids now, kids who are kind of making Afghanistan their home and their life. Yeah. I teach English. It's what I did when we lived in Phoenix in the inner city. It's really my favorite thing. Right now, my students are young women from sort of upper class families who've been sent to university, local universities, or at least through high school, and are looking for ways to sort of improve job opportunities, or, you know, maybe even just something to do to improve their minds or give them something to do to get out of the house. So they're young ladies, a lot different from when we first came. And I'll tell you this, Meg, that generation of women who were refugees or who grew up illiterate have raised now in the last 15 years, a generation of women who are going to university. It's really incredible. All these young girls, none of their moms can read or write, and all of them tell me proudly, but all of my kids go to school. All of my girls are going to university, and they're just beaming about it. What a beautiful picture of redemption, truly. I love it. It's so fantastic. I do that, but most of my day is spent with the kids, homeschooling. We have a teacher who homeschools us, but with Jacob and his special needs, it requires just some different resources and time. I take, I'm still learning language. We're always language learning, always trying to get better in Dari, better in our culture understanding, things like that. And then Afghanistan, it just takes a lot to live here in terms of time and energy. And so there's no supermarkets here. Everything I cook must come from scratch and from very basic ingredients. As we said before, like if I want cheese, I got to pay for it dearly uh-huh. at the import store. <laughs> and it's not that great. Yes. We bring coffee with us in our suitcase and chocolate chips and special Christmas flavored things and stash those away. And a lot of my day, I think most awesomes would recognize as a mom's yeah. day, you know, There's laundry and there's cooking and there's being with the kids and stuff like that. It feels like it's not exciting. I go outside and I can see camels and that's pretty great. totally. So fun. (laughs) I love that. I love too just the universal thing of just being a mom. You know, you're doing your mom business. You're doing that. And also you get to have the added, I'm sure, very deeply rewarding work of working with young women and teaching English. So yeah, just kind of doing a lot of great stuff in your days and weeks and months over there for sure. And then John also has a thing that he's doing in terms of like social enterprise right now. Is that right? That's right. So for years, we were part of like the relief and development community with like nonprofit organizations. 
that Afghanistan is trying to turn the corner in their economy from being totally reliant on aid, sort of building up their own business structure. And so for the last four years, we've been outside of that belief and development community. And John and some other American friends have started businesses here in Afghanistan. And so it's basically the same stuff he's always done, appropriate technology, workshop stuff, things with welding and metal, things he can do with his hands. But instead of it being in sort of this, like, here are Americans handing you these things. He's like, this is our workshop. We're a factory. You're my employees. We're going to sell stuff. We're going to try and make a profit. And we're going to learn like best business practices and accounting skills and yes, welding, yes, making a product, but a whole range of things. Afghans are great entrepreneurs. And so it's just one avenue to be able to help focus that in a way that helps, doesn't kind of feed into this constant relief cycle of just, we need stuff, give it, we need stuff. You know, does oh, that it absolutely make sense? does. And I can only imagine that because of the years that you have been there, starting back in, you know, 2002 and after 9-11, and you guys have kind of been on a path alongside the Afghan people that you've been working with to the point too, where it's not like you're Americans landing on the ground there and kind of coming in with a, an approach of like, well, here's how we do it in America and let's get this implemented here. You all have such right. a deep and long history with Afghan culture and the people to really be able to not come in and be like, we're going to teach you how to be Americans over here. You know, it's more of an approach of like, right. how does business work in this culture? How can we build this up and how can we really watch Afghanistan really blossom and, you know, come back from the devastation that the first part of this century brought to that country? So I can just imagine that it's, yeah, that all of the time that you've invested there really is, you know, it's like really happening now, all of these business opportunities that are coming along. So, so great. One thing I would love to hear from you, you know, a lot of Westerners sort of, again, like I said, we have this idea about what life in Afghanistan or even just in that region would be like, and it's not always portrayed super great in our pop culture and in in our media or news coverage. I would love to hear from you. What are some of your favorite things about living abroad, living in Afghanistan, some of the travel you've gotten to do, like just help us to get, again, just a really great picture of what your experience over there has been. Well, you're absolutely right. What you see on the news isn't a fair depiction of this country or this region. So what I love best about Afghanistan really, gosh, this sounds cliche, and I hope that you guys take it sincerely, but it really is like, it's just it's Afghan people. Yeah. They're really kind. I know that you experienced this in Lebanon. Hospitality in this part of the world is pretty incredible. It really is. Yep. I've sat with really poor families and had them like scramble around to try and find like a spoon so that I would be comfortable eating because they didn't want me to have to eat with my hands. It just their care for us and their hospitality. And I would really say just their resilience. There's something about Afghans that just keep going and keep going and keep going. And it's just incredible to watch. And it's a privilege to come along and 
be with them and say, here's a resource or, or here's a thing that might help you to keep going. Or if you have this idea, how can we get it further down the road? Afghans are a lot of fun. Girls here, you'll see only like totally shrouded in face covering burkas with ice grills. And all of that's true. All of my friends wear that. I wear it sometimes. But when they're together, they wear beautiful clothes and lots of makeup and they dance and they sing and they cook great food. They love their kids. Most Afghans are just mostly concerned with what all of us are, which is how do we get food on the table and how do we make life for our kids better than what we currently have right now. That to me is just sums up what Afghans kind of their goals in life are to just make things a little bit better for their kids. Just like all of us, just like really. All of us. Yeah. So beautiful. And I know exactly what you mean about the resiliency of cultures in that region. I experienced the same thing with visiting Syrian refugees who, you know, they were living literally in tents over concrete slabs to have people come and visit. They absolutely went all out with what they had to make us feel welcome and to tell us their stories. And that was a theme that just came up over and over is just the resiliency of people and their true heart for working through the struggle. And like you said, just continuing to, in the midst of really dire circumstances sometimes, just live family life and celebrate together and be together. And yeah, I mean, I don't want to turn this into like my story, but I'm relating so hard to everything that you're saying here. And I know that, you know, this is what you've been experiencing for years and years. So I can imagine that's had a profound impact on you. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about some of the travel that you've gotten to do, especially with like a launching pad from that part of the world. I know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I know you've gotten to take some really fun trips. So I'd love to hear some of your favorite places that you've gotten to visit because of where you are living. Oh, man, it's the best. You're right. So we are in Afghanistan is in the very heart of Asia. So we say Central Asia instead of the Middle East. It's a small detail. But in this part of the world, then we have access to just some really interesting places that most Americans don't know about. So some of my favorite places that I've been to would be the country just to the north of us called Tajikistan. And Tajiks uh, speak of a similar dialect of Persian that we do. But Tajikistan is this tiny little country, used to be part of the Soviet Union, but it's really, really mountainous. And since I'm a Colorado girl, the mountains call to me. And so we've gone camping way up high in these mountains in places named after Alexander the Great. So yeah, Dushanbe and Tajikistan are are really great. And then kind of going the other direction, John and I have really enjoyed, and the kids, going to India a little bit. We have visas there, and so we go sometimes for medical stuff or for just a break out of the kind of the stress and things that can come with living here. And we like to go to the very south of India, to Goa. There's some beautiful beaches and a very laid-back culture, or all the way down to the very, just the island off the tip of India called Sri Lanka. And those are just kind of very chill island vibes. And they're always so surprised because they never see Americans. And they're like, what? What are you doing here? You have have Hawaii 
and Florida, why would you come to this beach? And it's always a funny conversation to yes. be like, no, we do have that, but we don't live there. So here we I are. Bet. Oh my gosh. Well, you guys went to India this year. Isn't that right? That's right. So the particular stresses of this kind of life require kind of some frequent travel. So we kind of have a family rhythm of leaving all the way out of Afghanistan every six months. A lot of that is for my sake and my teenage daughter. Afghanistan is an extremely conservative Muslim country. And so a lot of like the clothing that we wear and the places that we go can feel after a time to feel restrictive and our world can get pretty small. And so there's just a need for our daughter to be able to just run free and laugh and climb a tree if she wants to, or ride a bicycle, which she's not allowed to do here, some things like that. And so, yeah, this past winter is for our winter trip. We went down to South India to Goa, and we just had a a really wonderful time. I absolutely recommend it. I loved seeing your pictures on Instagram from that trip. Again, just like typical American, I have an idea in my mind of what India looks like, but I did not know they had such beautiful beaches and it looked like you guys were having an amazing getaway on that trip. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I just learned something new from Carolyn all the time via Instagram. Thank you, social media. (laughs) (laughs) This part of the world, it can just bring a lot of joy. We go to Turkey sometimes too. And I recommend all Americans go Uh to Turkey. Because it's part of Europe-ish, very easy. I don't know about Canadians, but for Americans, you can get a visa online. Yes, It's a fun mix of European and Asian culture. So (laughs) if you're worried about it, I mean, there are Starbucks everywhere in Turkey. Yeah. Which is why I like to go myself, because I miss it desperately. But Turkey's a lot of fun. It's incredibly beautiful. And it's just One more step out of like maybe what a typical European vacation might look like or travel. Yeah, it's also incredibly affordable. Good to know. Good to know. Well, you know, our friend Tish Oxenreiter of The Simple Show lived there for a number of years. And just reading what she's written about their life in Turkey, I'm like, I got to go someday Mm -hmm. for sure. It sounds amazing. So that's a good recommendation to have. Before we wrap up, we've kind of covered some of the challenges. I'm super curious as you are homeschooling a child with special needs, if that has ever been something that made you think, well, eventually we may have to leave to be able to find different services for your son, or if there even are cultural things that you've run into that just have made kind of given you pause, particularly when it comes to having a child with special needs. I just wanted to make sure we talked about that a little bit because, again, our awesome community is filled with diversity and kids on all different kinds, you know, parents of kids with all different kinds of learning happening, but very few of us outside of a Western context. So I wondered if you have just a few minutes to talk a Mm -hmm. little bit about that. Sure. So with Jacob's learning disabilities that come with having Down syndrome, we had a lot of concerns initially. But actually, our homeschooling model has proven to be really, really excellent for him because he just gets a lot of one-on-one attention with our teacher and with me. And really, even like 20 years ago, there weren't the resources that there are now. So I can just Google 
homeschool oh, curriculum wow. for a child with Down syndrome, Meg, and it's pages and pages of stuff. There's a lot online. And also in the four years after Jacob was born, we built up a great community in our little town in Colorado. And so his speech therapist and some of his special uh-huh. education teachers kind of have remained on our team remotely, available through Skype or just to consult with, same with our pediatrician. And so they've all been baffled by our choices, but also supportive of making it the best experience for Jacob as possible. And so we've had a lot of help along the way, but Jacob has just done remarkably well. He is who he is, and we're really just pleased with how he's learning to read and his interactions, and and he's really just part of our little expat community here. There's another family with kids, and he's just one of the tribe. And so in that way, I would say we've had it much easier here in terms of discrimination or problems than we did in the States. In the States, we had some really horrible things said to us when he was first born by well-meaning people. And things that that Mm. just made me cringe, things that strangers felt comfortable saying to me in Walmart. It was rude and hurtful. And it was just a challenge, honestly, to go out in public sometimes with Jacob when he was a baby with oxygen and different things. Here, our expat community is quite small and the kids are all friends and he's really included in a way that we would want for him in the States, but I think would be much harder, partly because this is a small and we're all sort of like doing the same thing and and kind of raising our kids together in what's already a challenging environment. And so adding Jacob in has not been a big deal. And Afghans don't really pay that much attention to child development milestones. One of the things that's very sad about Afghanistan is that it has one of the highest rates of children dying before the age of five. It's quite high. And I think it's like... wow. I did not know that. Maybe one in 11 kids die before the age of five here. So just to get your child to kindergarten is kind of what you do. And can they talk by 18 months is not on anybody's radar. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And so when he was little, and my mommy groups in America, we talked a lot about milestones and stuff. And I always felt it just was tinged with this sort of like, oh, my kid's not doing any of that yet. This is so hard. And in Afghanistan, there's just none of that. Most Afghans think Jacob is just a really friendly little kid. They don't quite understand that he's 10 years old and that he's not talking well. He's very polite. He shakes everyone's hand. He does all the things that a little kid should do to show respect to their elders. And most Afghans are really charmed by him. And I have never had anybody say a rude comment or look at us strangely. We've had a few people who've known us for a long time then come and say, is there something with Jacob? Will he get better? What is it? What do you call it? who want to know more, but just in passing and things like that, Jacob is a delight and he really mostly opens doors for us in terms of just his personality oh, and I charm. I hadn't even thought about it that way, but I bet, yeah, of course, that's absolutely right. I love that. Well, thank you for that. I'm sure in a lot of ways, 
that's going to really reach out to other parents who are, again, parenting kids with all different kinds of abilities. Just to know, like, (laughs) I know that the feeling of like, I'm kind of doing this on my own Mm -hmm. or whatever may be prevalent in some of those regards. But then to think like people, you know, parents are doing this all around the world and you're able to do that and experience the joys that come along with it, even in Afghanistan. So, (laughs) so wonderful. So encouraging. Well, I don't want to take any more of your time. I do know, however, Carolyn, people are going to have questions for you and want to know where they can hear more and also see more about what your life is like right now. So before we wrap up, please do make sure to tell us where's a good place where we can find you follow-up conversation, or like I said, just to see more of what your life is like. So I'm mostly on Instagram. And so uh-huh. you can find me there at okay. Carolyn M for Montanati 516. Carolyn M 516. That's Instagram. I'm always on the Hangout group on Facebook. And you can find me there at Carolyn Montanati. And most of what I post on Facebook is just cross-posted from Instagram. So that's kind of the main place that you could find me and see our pictures. Which I'll warn you, I mean, Meg, you, you were very sweet about what you said, but it's also just a lot of well, pictures it's just family of life. You know, yes. our dog and cat and my kids and kind of a typical mom. It's family life. It's not always camels. But do come for the camel content. Perfect. It's good when I can get one. Come for the camels, stay for the family life. It's a great Instagram. <laughs> Truly, Carolyn, thank you so much for taking the time. Here it is, you know, the end of the day for you. And I just really appreciate you taking the time. And we've worked together to work through the technical stuff. And like, it held up I've, <laughs> this whole time. I'm like, I know. Thank you, Lord. It really held on. I'm so <laughs> Thank pleased. you so much. Thank you, Skype, for holding up through our conversation. Yes. Meg, if you would permit me to say thank you to you and to Kelly and to Rebecca and to Laura Tremaine, like Sort of Awesome has carried me through some lonely times. I listen to a lot when we travel on the road and airports. It's like having friends nearby, the awesome community. It's so great when I'm feeling homesick, when I'm wanting a little bit of sisterly stuff or friend stuff. Sort of awesome has been there for me in some really important ways. Oh, these last four thank years. you so much for saying that. That means a lot to me. So thank you. And I will make sure too that the other ladies on the team get to hear that as well. So, all right. Well, awesomes, you know that you can find me on social media at Sort of Awesome Meg. You can find the show over on Twitter at Sort of Awesome Pod, and you can find us anytime on Facebook at facebook.com slash sort of awesome. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see y'all next time. Sort of Awesome was created and is hosted by me, Meg Teets. Sarah Robertson is our assistant producer and production collaboration comes from Kelly Gordon and Rebecca Hoffer. Kelly Gordon is our digital media producer and we are so thankful for the ongoing support from our listener supporters. Music is provided by the band Prager. You can find more of Prager's music at pragermusic.com. To find show notes on this and every episode of Sorta Awesome, and also to spread the Sorta Awesome love to all of your friends, you can head on over to sortaawesomeshow.com. Sorta 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.